Thank you, Ari and Michelle. Uh, Pastor Mark, who I affectionately refer to as the Padre, has taught me many things over his time uh, with us. Uh, the first thing he taught me was that the, the diligent following of an exercise program can be very, very good for your health. And I really admire him for that. He, he's helped me a lot. <laughs> um, but to be, to be really honest, Mark has taught me what it is to be uh, an authentic person, uh, a real attempt to follow the Word of God uh, amongst us uh, despite having much suffering going on. And I think many of us can relate to that, that sometimes it feels hard to follow Jesus with the, the suffering we see around us in, in our own families. Uh, but Mark's uh, authenticity and joy has been there throughout that suffering. He also taught me that when we see the, the, the word word in Scripture, that it often does not mean the Bible. Um, and we see that in our passage today when we hear about the word. And I'll go through the, the three different meanings that we see here in this passage I'm going to read from John 17. That the, the word word is often logos and this Greek principle unifying uh, the world with God, the, the, the unifying principle it was called. And in, in John, we see that the logos refers to Jesus, the Jesus principle. And so I, I might even quote Jesus here as opposed to, you might think, Bible. And then another word was this word rema or remate, the word of the spirit that you might hear in your life. This still small voice, and I encourage you to listen for it because the Bible tells us that we might be able to hear the still small voice of the Lord in our lives. And then finally, Mark taught me that this is the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read John 17 together today. And another thing he taught me that was, he taught me a lot. Another thing Mark taught me was that this is the one time we can answer the prayer of Jesus. And how do we answer the prayer of Jesus? By demonstrating unity with one another. So let's look to the word of the Lord, this rich passage, John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. That's the Jesus. They have obeyed your Jesus. Now they know that everything you have given them comes from you. For I gave them the words, that's the remate, the still small voice of the Spirit. I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, 
and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, the logo, logos, and the word has hated them. world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Your Jesus is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray. Lord, this prayer resonates in our hearts and we would just love to demonstrate unity to the world, to demonstrate your love to the world. We acknowledge that love is an action, not an emotion. And that when you talk about love, you talk about obedience and sacrifice. Those may not so, seem so appealing to Hollywood, Lord, but you call us, your disciples, to obedience and sacrifice. And that we demonstrate our love through service, especially to service of the other. Lord, I'm confident when we come to heaven, you won't ask us who we condemned. You will ask us who we loved and who we served. As Howard comes, Lord, let him inspire us to love and to serve. We thank you for these things, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, Neil. Wow. Thanks for that introduction and for reading it. I think I'll just pronounce a benediction and we go home or go downstairs and have a meal. And that's the way I want it to be this morning. 
I, I feel unworthy to be able to actually share from that prayer. Because it's just so rich in itself. I just absolutely love this passage. And uh, I feel honored to be able to share some words from this passage. This is the prayer of Jesus. Except for the prayer we see a little bit in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the last prayer we actually see before he goes to the cross and dies. It says in the book of Mark that Jesus would often kind of go away from his disciples and spend some time praying to his father. Man, I would love to be a bee buzzing around to hear that conversation. Can you imagine God the Son communicating to God the Father while I was on earth? We don't have the privilege of actually hearing that conversation. What Jesus said to his Father during those three years of ministry that he had. But we get to hear this one. We get to read this one. And it's so precious. So precious. Pastor Mark, you summarized my sermon really well. I think I, I'll just add a few little things and, and we'll do No, exactly. You'll notice that what the summary is, and if you're going to write notes, you can put some extra notes there. Jesus prays to the Father for his disciples. What was the central message that comes through in this prayer? What was it? It was exactly that. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry on earth. Three years. Three years of ministry. But there was an important responsibility that still is before him. By the way, it wasn't his only responsibility. He didn't just come to die, give his life, was raised again. I mean, if that was the reason for him coming, why didn't God the Father choose to send him just a week before he was to die? Already an adult, already there, fully human, and just die, just like that. No, we have the privilege of knowing that Jesus lived here on earth for 33 years. We have a little bit about those first 30 years before his public ministry started, but it's primarily focused on those three years of ministry that he had. And in this particular prayer, he sums it up because he knows he's coming to the end of those three years of ministry, which were important, but he was coming up to another very important aspect when he was going to give his life. He knew it was coming. And this is a wonderful prayer. But you know, he doesn't pray for himself. He doesn't say, oh Lord, uh, please help me to get through this. Help me with the pain and all because we know it was going to be very painful. We know that he experienced the excruciating thought of what he was going to suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane a little bit later. But this prayer is for you. It's for me. 
Jesus doesn't think of himself. He thinks of his Father. He thinks of you. So this prayer is God, is God the Son pouring out his heart to his Father for his followers. That's why I think it's such a wonderful prayer. Do you see yourself in it? Do you see what he prays? He says, oh Lord, I give them to you. I've had them. It's been a real privilege. After all, you were the one that actually gave them to me. They were yours. You gave them to me. I had them for these three years. It's been a wonderful experience. I poured my life into them. I've tried to represent you well in dealing with them. And now I give them back to you. And I pray, oh God, my Father, protect them. Protect them from the world. Protect them from primarily the enemy. Because the enemy will want to destroy them. So the first thing I want you to understand from this passage is Jesus cares for you. Jesus cares for you. His heart's desire for his followers today is the same that it was when he was in that special moment of prayer for his disciples. He prays for you because he loves you and he wants the best for you. So if you're here today and you're struggling with that, you're suffering, there's lots of things going on in your life and you're saying, God, where are you? I just want to tell you, he's there and he cares for you. He really does care for you. Jesus, your Lord and Savior, cares for you. As a matter of fact, the Word of God says that Jesus intercedes for us. And I can't help but think that his intercession is very similar to what he prayed in John 17. He continues to pray that the Father would protect us, he would lead us and guide us. And as Neil emphasized, he would make us one. He'd make us one. I wonder if the heart of Jesus is saddened to see what has happened in many churches across Canada over the last two years in how we have responded to an external thing called COVID. And how the church has been so divided. Oh. It must pain his heart. Oh, may God remind us to stay one. Oh, we can have our opinions. We can have our convictions. But let's remember above everything, we are one in Jesus. And if someone near to me names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's my brother or sister in Christ, and I will be with him for eternity with Jesus. Because it makes a difference in the world. So the first thing I just emphasize from this particular passage, and by the way, we won't read the whole passage again, but I just want to emphasize to you 
if there's nothing else you get from what I'm going to say today, is that Jesus cares about you. And that's what John wanted us to understand since he gave to us this whole chapter on the prayer of Jesus. But he goes beyond that because he has some other things he wants to say as well. There are two key words that I feel are in this passage that I'd like to just share with you for a couple of minutes in the time I have left. And that's the word sent and the word world. And if you actually read this through, you'll find that the word sent is repeated a number of times. And you'll find that the word world is repeated a number of times. Now, for those of you that have studied the Word of God, you've read the Word of God many, many times, you will know that the word world actually doesn't always mean exactly the same in the Bible. You have to kind of look at the context to find out what the word world actually means. Because sometimes when the Bible talks about the word world, it means the physical creation that we have around him, around here. God created this world, and it's a wonderful world. Praise God, we have this wonderful world, and the more we understand about other stars and other planets and so forth, we'll realize just how wonderful we have in this world. Okay, that's the first definition. The second one is people. For God so loved the world. Now, of course, we know he loves the physical creation, but I think he's referring to the world there. He's talking about the people, the world of people. The third one is, he makes a reference to world, and that refers to kind of the world system that is around us. Which, for the most part, because of the introduction of sin into this world, it started off by a rebellious archangel, and it came to Adam and Eve, and it has been the curse right across all of the history of mankind. And its world is that system that is anti-God. It has values, it has thought processes, it has convictions that are actually leave God out of the picture. So when we come to look at the word world in this particular prayer, we have to look at it and say, what kind of world is he talking about? And the bottom line is, he's actually switching around a little bit. Because one of the things he says, and that's in verse 18, so we can look at specifically verse 18. I'll just read it. He says, as you sent me, you meaning God the Father, me meaning God the Son, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them, who are them? Disciples, followers, you and I, I have sent them into the world. We're present in the world. We're in what God has created. We have people around us. And Jesus says, as you sent me 
into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And of course, this leads us to recognize that famous doctrinal truth that we call the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be celebrating it again very soon at Christmas time. When God decided to send his son to take on human flesh. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the incarnation. That, the word incarnation, back actually, and I never studied Latin, uh, but it's incaro or incares, which means in the flesh. So Jesus took on flesh, became fully human while remaining fully God, came into the world, and God sent him into the world with a task. But then he goes on to say some other things about the world in relation to Jesus. And let's, let's move back to verse 13, and I'll just read. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world. Okay, so he's coming to the end of his time when he's actually going to go back to the Father. But he's now in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He wants his disciples to have great joy because he's still with them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Now there he's referring to the world system which has influenced the people. And so yeah, we do experience that. The disciples experience that and we experience that. We are in a country that seemingly is becoming more flowing down a certain stream that's in a total different direction than the values that God has given to us that we would have as values in our life. Yeah. The world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. So Jesus was sent into the world, but he's not of the world. And of course, that leads us to another big discussion, and that is the whole word of separation. Incarnation, yes. Separation, yes, also. But unfortunately, we have often been confused by what it means to be separate. And often what happens is separation for Christians means stay away from people. Stay away from people. Cling to only those who are followers of Jesus. We look at that and say, is that really what it was supposed to be? Well, I'll tell you, you look at the example of Jesus and it wasn't that at all. If there was anything they accused Jesus of, it's not because he was a recluse and he... And he stayed away and he, he would basically always be separated by himself because nobody was actually committed and con, uh, 
uh, following God as he was so he would stay by himself. That wasn't the case at all. He was known as somebody who spent time with people that he just broke all these rules that had been established by others who were trying to promote separation. So it doesn't seem that's what he means. Well, what's he mean by saying that the world has hated them for they're not of the world and I am not of the world as well? He had been able to, while he was on earth, continue to be committed to the values and the truths of his father and follow them faithfully. So he was in the world, but he wasn't marching by the orders of the world. And then Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, so I am sending them. So we have been sent in the same way. First of all, You've got a commission. You've got a mission. I've got a mission. It comes from Jesus himself. And that's the primary mission for while we're here on earth. I don't know whether you've ever thought of this, but I have thought, why did God not just decide that once a person becomes a believer, just, Lord, just take them home. We've got all eternity we're going to be together. Wouldn't that be just really helpful? It would sure make life easier for most of us, wouldn't it? If the moment we received Jesus, I, I received Jesus when I was a young boy back in Saskatchewan, uh, likely about eight years old. And if Jesus just said, okay, you've come to the kingdom, whoop, you're gone. But he didn't. Why not? Because God has a purpose for us here on earth. And the purpose is not just to make money, to support our families, to provide for our families, although that's very worthy. It's very important. In order that we might live out a life here on earth, God has chosen to keep us on earth for a similar purpose for why he chose his son to come to earth. That's why he says, as you have sent me, so I send them. Well, just a minute now. Jesus died. Does that mean I have to die somehow? My death is going to bring salvation to people? Not necessarily. That's not what he's emphasizing. Because Jesus didn't just come to die, as I said before. He came to live out the life of God here on earth. God's principles, God's truth. And he poured it into his disciples so that his disciples would carry on the responsibility. Because there is a mission above everything that God wants to see done. It was done through Jesus, and it carries on through us. And that's the third one that Neil actually referred to. Our mission is to make an impact in this world. We have been sent 
to make an impact in this world. So, we're in the world. That's what Jesus says. We're not of the world. Remember 1 John chapter 2, it says, do not love the world. So we're not in the world in terms of the, or we're not of the world, I should say, in terms of allowing its system. But we are sent into the world because we have a mission. And as Neil emphasized, isn't it interesting that Jesus says to accomplish that mission, we need to be one. He looks to those disciples and he says, Lord, I pray, make them one so that it'll make an impact in this world. That's really important because we live in a society where it's very individualistic. And so our thought is, okay, God's called me to be faithful followers of him, to be a little Christ, a Christian, a little Christ, a follower of Christ in this world. But as you look in this in this prayer, you begin to see how much he puts an emphasis on the oneness of us together and how that makes an impact in this world. If I may just make another reference again to what we have experienced in the last couple of years. I ask the question, has the Church of Jesus Christ in Canada made that kind of impact in our culture today through this whole thing that we call COVID. Have we demonstrated such unity together that it actually has pointed people to God? Oh God, help us. Help us to be those kinds of people. I, I love this passage. I wish I could spend a lot more time in it. But I, don't you get the impression that Jesus talks about the unity of the Father and the Son a lot here? I am in you. You are in me. We are one together. But then he says, I want my people to feel a oneness with us together. That's the wonderful thing about this triune God that we worship. He actually demonstrates unity. Our God, three persons in one, united together. And the harmony that they have together, three persons in one, is an example for all of us. And they actually invite us to be one with them. So that the world may see who God is. We've got a wonderful privilege of doing that. I must admit when I sent, uh, I sent the little thing and uh, I, I'm actually quite glad that I'm not sure who puts the sign out on the church there. But I sent a little, um, I, I sent what my title was going to be for, my, for the service. Uh, sent once and you can see and then I put in brackets ED scented once and I thought after I sent it I thought ooh, 
That's not very good English. Everybody's going to drive by Bethesda and say, what's wrong with those people? Can't you spell right? Uh, because there should be a C in there in that little bracket, scented ones. But that was my point that I wanted to make. And I, I'm very glad you actually didn't put it out there because I didn't want you to, to look bad, okay, a bad image. But we are to be scented ones in our sentness, if I can put it that way. Second Corinthians chapter 2, and I just want to read this. I'll read this kind of as my last thought. Second Corinthians chapter 2, and uh, it starts in verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul, and this is what he says. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma. Other translations use the word fragrance. I like the word fragrance. To spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasant, the pleasing fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are a fragrance that brings death. To the other a fragrance that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? We are scented ones because the Holy Spirit is in our lives and he's transforming us. And you look more like Christ now if you have been following after him. You look more like Christ now than last year. And you smell better, okay? You're a fragrance. And God wants to use us as scented ones who are sent into this world to represent him. Jesus started a movement. It was a movement where he would use his people to bring the kingdom of God around the world. The task is not yet done. That's why we're still here. That's why God has chosen not yet to send his son back. But until the moment that his son comes back, we have this responsibility, a mission that is for Winnipeg and it's for the world. And one day, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then he will come. And we will have that glorious privilege of gathering around the throne and there will be people there from every language group. Every people group. There's a lot of them yet, by the way, who have not yet been reached. That means we're not done our task yet. And there's many in Winnipeg who really haven't had a meaningful contact with people enough for them to understand that because of the oneness of God's people, and the faithfulness of serving him, that there is a living God who loves them and who has provided reconciliation to him. And until Jesus says, that's it, it's over, we still have our task. God has called us. We are sent ones.
And he is making us a beautiful fragrance, scented ones for him. Lord, I do pray that you would just help us every day. Lord, I don't know about these people, but I must say I struggle. That when I get up in the morning, that I remember that I'm a sent one. And I'm a scented one. Help me. Remind me of that. Because I think of all the tasks I want to do during the day. Some of which can be mundane. And forget that I am on appointment. Following up what my master has done. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to continue in the task that you've given us in order that the world may see who you are and that you would be honored and glorified that every knee will bow. The ones in Winnipeg, the ones in Manitoba, in Canada, oh Lord, but around the world, some of those areas where they haven't yet heard about Jesus. Lord, how we pray. Help us to be faithful to your calling on our lives and on our church. And it's in the name of the Lord of the church I pray this. Amen.